0: Amen. Thank you very much, Catherine, for the song. I don't know what could have gone along with my sermon any better than the song that you just sang. I don't know about tomorrow, but I know who holds my hand. And that's why we can have hope for troubled hearts. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John, chapter 14. And today we're beginning one of the greatest chapters, I think, that we have in the Word of God. This is a chapter where Christians for generations have gone to find hope while they're living in a troubled world. And I want to remind you this morning as I talk about this, as we read the scriptures today, that this is a portion of scripture that is for Christians and for Christians only. Because no one who doesn't know Christ as their Savior will find hope in the words that I have to say this morning. Now, what takes place here and and what we're reading is part of uh, some private conversations that Jesus had with his disciples. And these conversations took place just hours before he was to go to the cross. And if there was anyone who was facing a hopeless situation, I think we could say that the disciples were. For three years, they had walked with Christ. They saw the miracles that Jesus did. And John records for us seven of those miracles here in the Gospel of John. They saw all of those things. They saw all of the mighty works. And if any hope was to be found for them, it was to be found in the power and the might of Jesus. Very soon, Jesus would be crucified. And even after all of these hours of private instructions, it still wasn't until after he died that they came to fully understand what Jesus meant. So chapter 14 begins with some very comforting words as Jesus talks to us about heaven. Now later in these discourses, Jesus will say in the 16th chapter of John, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Is there hope for troubled hearts? Well, I think that there is. And today we're going to see some reasons, some very important reasons why Jesus says so in these verses. Now, almost always when I get up to preach a sermon, I'm thinking about this obligatory, I guess is the word, joke that I have to tell. And it's hard to find jokes about heaven. I mean, almost always there are false assumptions and nothing gives a true picture of what heaven's really like. And so you're stuck with trying to find something that's really not accurate. But I'm going to tell you a joke about heaven today. Uh, You're probably expecting that. I mean, Pastor Smith's got to have a joke of some kind. Well, here's the joke. There there was a cab driver and a preacher who died and went to heaven. Now, when the cab driver reached the pearly gates, St. Peter took his name, and he motioned to the angel Gabriel to check the books to see if his name was there. And the angel said, yes, his name is here. And so Peter told the cab driver, he said, here's your silk robe, and here's your golden staff, and you can enter into heaven. Well, the preacher was next, and he was watching what was going on. And so he strutted up to St. Peter's desk. And, and without even Peter saying anything, without him asking anything, he said, Hello, my name is Dr. Miller, and here is my theology degree. And Peter motioned to, to Gabriel to check the book, and sure enough, his name was there. And so Peter handed him an old bathrobe and a knotty pine cane and said, Well, you can enter into heaven. Well, the preacher was very disturbed about that. He said, what's going on? He said, I saw you leave that old cab driver. You let him go into heaven. You gave him a golden staff, and you gave him a silk robe to wear. And St. Peter said, well, we judge people on results here. While you preached, the people slept, and while he drove, the people prayed. So there's your joke. So there are a lot of misconceptions about heaven. But we'll try to clear up some of those today. Would you stand with me, please, as we read the Scriptures? Today, we're going to think on the subject, hope for troubled hearts. If you please look at John chapter 14, beginning with verse number 1. Jesus says, "...let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again." and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word today. And Lord, we do hope that we can find hope for our troubled hearts. We know, Lord, that can only be found in Jesus Christ and the promises that he gives as we receive him as our personal Lord and Savior. Speak to our hearts today, Lord. Lift us up and help us to see that there is reason for us to have hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. When many people hear these first words of John chapter 14, the first thing that they think about is funeral service. Over the years, I have been given what I think is a great opportunity, a great blessing. Um, I've had honor, great honor given to me, and, and many of you wouldn't think that this is much of an honor, and perhaps you wouldn't want to be honored in this way. But sometimes there are loved ones who have had someone pass away, one of their loved ones pass away. They're saddened by that and they have to have a funeral service and they call on the pastor to perform a funeral service. One of the verses or a group of verses that I almost always read is what we find right here in John chapter 14. I think a funeral service is one of the most difficult things that a pastor can be called upon to do. And yet I know that there are, are people who call upon their pastor because they have confidence in him. And it really shows how much they love the pastor, what they think about him, to ask him to do a funeral service. I don't have the, any special ability that God has given to comfort anyone in any special way. God hasn't given me any special words that, that really go beyond the ordinary But when a loved one dies, when a family member comes to you, they want someone that they can trust and hopefully that person can give them hope for their troubled hearts. One thing that I would never do, I I would never campaign to do funeral services. I'm not going to have a shingle outside of my door that says funeral my specialty. But I do know this, that there are people who come to the pastor with very troubled hearts. There are times when they're Uh, loved ones have died or perhaps just the ordinary things that you go on through life and you get very troubled over those things. Today I very seriously considered that I would preach a funeral service to you but I think most of you would believe that's fairly morbid on a beautiful Sunday morning like today you don't want to hear me preach a funeral service so I'm not going to preach a funeral sermon today I'm going to preach a sermon like a funeral sermon. Now there are three points that I'd like to discuss this morning the first two uh are not the the most important points that I want to make. The main heart of the message is in point number three. So I'm going to give you just a, a couple of quick points today as we get to point number three. And first of all, I want you to notice that there are reasons to be troubled. Jesus begins with a great statement. He says, let not your heart be troubled. And Jesus looked at those 11 disciples. The 12th one right then was on his way to betray them. To betray him, and Jesus said to them, Let not your heart be troubled. Now, it was just a few hours before this that Jesus had entered into Jerusalem. And as he came into that place, he saw the cheers of the people. They greeted him. They said, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And so they were glad to see Jesus, and they sang his praises as he rode into Jerusalem. But Jesus knew that those praises would soon turn to jeers. And the people would take him and they would crucify him. And do you know that actually Jesus said, and we studied a few weeks ago, that Jesus said as he came into the city, now is my soul troubled. Now, I don't think that most of you would argue with me. There are reasons for us to be troubled. Whenever you listen to most TV preaching today, you would think that there's really no reasons to be troubled at all. And the preacher will tell you on television, if you'll just live your life for God, and if you'll just send me an offering, then you'll have no reason to be troubled. And so many of them will tell you that God's number one priority for your life is that you are to be rich. God wants you to be successful. God doesn't want you to struggle. God doesn't want you living in poverty. And so if you want to get rid of all those things and the thing that you need to do is praise God and just pass the plate. Then someone will take their Bible out and they'll turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And they'll begin to tell you that all things work together for good for the Christian. And so there's really no need for you to be troubled. But that seems like just an incredible statement to me. When Jesus himself said, now is my soul troubled. Would you think that you're any different from Jesus or that you're immune to troubles if he wasn't? So Jesus said there are reasons to be troubled. And did you know that Romans 8, verse 28, chapter 8, verse 28, is really not a verse that says that there will be no troubles? That's a promise that troubles will come. And what it actually tells us is that troubles come, but God helps us to work through those troubles. Now think about this. The, The fact that Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, is a huge indication that indeed there are troubles. Troubles are all around us. And the most troubling thing to these disciples was that their Lord and Master, their Savior, the one that they'd walked with and worshipped with and looked to, he was now about to die. Isn't that troubling? Of course it is. Wasn't it troubling to think that Jesus had just told them that one of their members, one of their number, would, would betray him? Wasn't that troubling? And then Jesus said that Peter... One of the strongest disciples, it looked like, one who was always ready to step forward, who, who asserted himself and looked like a leader among the disciples. He said, Peter is going to deny me three times. Do you think that that wasn't troubling? Was there no reason to be troubled? And the master said, I'm troubled. Judas, of course, was very troubled. Peter was troubled. And all of those disciples who sat there and listened to everything that Jesus said, they were also very troubled. So I would tell you, don't listen to the foolishness of a fancy, rich TV preacher who throws out his health, wealth, and prosperity gospel and tells you that there are no reasons to be troubled. If Jesus was troubled, then you have every reason to be troubled. But I want you to notice... The words that Jesus spoke. This was back in John chapter 12, verse 37. When Jesus said, now is my soul troubled, he followed that up with these words. But for this cause came I unto this hour, Father, glorify thy name. Now here is the most important part of Jesus' follow-up statement, and I put it on your listening sheet today. While there are reasons to be troubled, there are greater reasons not to be troubled. Now, there's nothing wrong with you if you are a Christian and you encounter troubles. Troubles will come, but we also need to understand that there are more reasons for us not to be troubled. Now, that leads me to the second observation today, that Christians are realist about trouble. In other words, we know that troubles are coming. We encounter them, but we also know that there's a way to get through all of those troubles. And we have in Jesus Christ reasons that we shouldn't be troubled or greater reasons not to be now, let me give you two reasons why we can be realist about our trouble, but at the same time, we have greater reasons not to be troubled. First of all, we rely upon the promises of God. Now, I think the greatest promise that God gave in his word, he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so God says, if you have problems, I'm going to stand in there with you, and I'm going to go through those problems with you. But it's not just that God stands with us, but the Bible also teaches that God sympathizes with us. Jesus knows exactly what we're going through. He's been through all of those things. He's faced everything that we faced. And so when we come to him, he is able to give us comfort in just the right amount at just the right time. Now, one thing that we never want to do, we don't want to forget that Jesus was born as a baby. And we don't want to forget that Jesus went, from the, went to the cross but we also ought not to forget that in between those two times, he lived a human life. Jesus went through all of these things. There were periods where he saw the weaknesses that humans have. He, he felt the pressures that humans feel. He had moments when he could have been very much afraid. And we know that Jesus suffered ridicule. He suffered from feelings of hatred even from his own family members. And yet the strength of Jesus was in the promises that he received from his heavenly father. Now, most importantly, his strength was in God's promise to raise him from the dead. The life was very hard for Jesus. I mean, it was harder than most of us can even possibly imagine. But Jesus rested all of his hope in that when he went into that grave, that God was able to raise him up from the dead. And the greatest reason for him not to be troubled is that the resurrection was a reality. Jesus would be restored. His position would be exalted once again. He would take his place right next to the Heavenly Father. And in the process of doing all of that, he would claim a people for his own. And he would place those who have trusted him as Lord and Savior as stars into his crown. You can rely on God's promises. He doesn't leave. He never forsakes And so if you're his child, he promises without fail that you're going to go home to be with him in heaven. And that's a great reason not to be troubled. Then there's a second reason that you can be a realist about your trouble and yet have reasons not to be troubled, and that is that we rely on the power of God. And I think that the the simplest reason not to be overcome with all of our troubles is the character of the person who tells them not to be troubled, who says this his name is Jesus. Who is he? The Bible says he's the son of God. Who is he? He's God himself. Now the second phrase of verse number one, Jesus said, ye believe in God, believe also in me. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Did you know that the very best translation of these original Greek words are what we find right here in the King James Bible? Jesus said, I know that you have faith in God. God is all-powerful. You trust God absolutely and without doubt, and so now believe in me. The same way that you believe in God, believe in me. Now, what would you think today if I said, you believe in God, believe in me? The same way that you believe in God. And you, you would probably say, Pastor Smith, have you lost your mind? We can't believe in you in the same way that we believe in God. I mean, there's a huge difference between you and God, and I would agree with you. Although there's many preachers who don't think there's very much difference between them and God, there is a great difference. And so some Christians or some pastors will say, you can blindly trust me. I mean, you can just take what I say, take it to the bank. What I say is absolutely right, and you can trust me just like you can trust God. I'm never going to tell you that. You can't trust me like you can trust God. I can't do for you the same things that God can do for you. But notice what Jesus says. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. And you know what that is? That is just another plain statement where Jesus claims to be equal with God. You can't trust any human in the way that you can trust God. But doesn't it make perfect sense to trust in Jesus? Because he is God. And this is what he says, trust me because I'm God. And that's precisely why the disciples could trust him. That's why they knew that he was greater than all their troubles. They knew that Jesus was trustworthy. Why? Because Jesus had never done anything to prove himself untrustworthy. There was never a reason to doubt what Jesus said. Now, it's true, the disciples did doubt. They did, but not because of anything that Jesus ever did. Jesus was the perfect son of God. There's no reason to doubt him. And do you know this, friends, that today, you and I, living here 2,000 years after the fact, we have more reasons not to be troubled than the disciples themselves had. I mean, they were right there with Jesus, and yet we have more reasons not to be troubled. And do you know why? Because everything that took place, what we're reading right here, happened prior to the cross. The cross is still a future event. The resurrection of Jesus is still a future event. But for us today... That's all past. We can look back on it. The Bible says there were over 500 witnesses who saw that Jesus arose from the dead. And so we can have full confidence that these things actually did happen. And so that means that we have a greater reason not to be troubled. It's a wonderful thing to be able to trust in Jesus just as you trust in God because He is God and there's no reason for you to be troubled. Now that leads me to the last observation. Here's the real heart of the message today. Because Jesus is teaching us something about heaven. What does he teach about heaven? I think he teaches us that heaven is a real place. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So heaven's a real place. And if there's any reason not to be troubled, this is the very best one of all. Now, if I was preaching a funeral service today, and there was a person lying right here in a casket, and that person was a believer in Jesus Christ, I would say, as I always say, almost without fail, don't grieve for them. Grieve for yourself because you've lost your fellowship with them, but don't grieve for them because they've lost fellowship with you. That person is a much better place. If they're a believer in Jesus Christ, they're in heaven. Heaven is a real place. And Jesus, the trustworthy God, the God-man, Jesus Christ says, you don't need to be troubled about this. Now, I want to personalize the rest of this message. As we go through the, the last points of the message today, I want to personalize this, and I want to tell you exactly how I feel about it and what I think. And I hope that every one of you can personalize this message in exactly the same way. And I want to tell you today that I am not troubled, and I have reasons not to be troubled. First reason is I know where I'm going. I'm not troubled because I know where I'm going. Now, I don't think most people really know where they're going. And I'm not talking about getting into your automobile and because you won't ask directions that you get lost. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about having an unsure plan for your education or exactly what your career may turn out to be. You you may not know about those things. You don't know how it's going to turn out. But you've got some time to figure that out. I don't think most people know where they're going in relation to eternity. And you know, folks, sadly, for some, you don't have time to figure this out. The world's religions will tell you that it's impossible for you to know where you're going to go when you die. Some people say, well, you go nowhere when you die. Some scientists, some atheists will say, there's no life after death. When you die, you pass into nothingness. You go nowhere. You just cease to exist. Do you know that it's never been in the heart of man to believe that there is no life after death? Men have never believed that. And no one... And any culture has ever believed that unless there was someone from the outside who came in and influenced them to believe that they die as a dog and they just pass into nothingness. They cease to exist. There's no culture in the world where people have ever believed that there's no life after death. And so for a person to say, well, you just, you're annihilated. You, mean you, just, you just pass out of existence altogether. Well, people who believe like that are really in the vast minority of people in the world. But there are people in the vast majority who do believe that there's life after death, and yet they don't know where they're going when they die. Now, you ask them, where are you going to go? Are you going to heaven or hell? And they say, well, I, I, I hope that I'm going to heaven. I mean, I, I, I feel like I live a pretty good life. I'm not as bad as other people are, so I hope that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. You ever think about that? Why would anyone possibly believe that? I mean, where did anybody ever get that kind of information? You know, if I said something like, I hope the sun turns green tomorrow. Well, would that be a rational thing to think? I mean, it wouldn't be unless someone has studied out all the properties of the sun, they very carefully observe what the sun does, and they come to the conclusion, yes, it's highly probable that the sun will turn green tomorrow. And yet, there are people who for no reason say, I hope that I'll go to heaven. Well, on what basis is that hope? Where does the Bible say, even in one place, if you live a pretty good life, that you'll be able to go to heaven? Where does it say that? And people are troubled because they really don't know. They're not sure about it. And there are churches who teach you that you can't really know for sure if you're going to heaven. But I know... I know where I'm going when I die. If I die today, or if I die 50 years from today, I know exactly where I'm going. I'm going to heaven. Now, the Bible tells me that I can know that. It says you can know for sure if you're going to heaven. And if I were to tell you that I'm not sure, the fact that I'm not sure means that I really am sure. Because if I'm not sure, that means I'm not going to heaven. Automatically. You know, every true believer loves this scripture. In 1 John chapter 5, it says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Listen, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So the Bible says that I can know. And the way that I know is that I place my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So John says, you can know that you're on your way to heaven. Then also John wrote in chapter 3, verse 36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The wrath of God abideth on him. Now, if you don't know, friend, where you're going at this very moment, then you should know that you're on your way to hell. Why am I not troubled? because I believe in Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, and I know where I'm going when I die. Now, secondly, I am not troubled because I know who I'm seeing. You know, one of the most frequently asked questions about going to heaven is, will I know my family and friends when I get to heaven? Will I know my husband, my wife? Will I know my children when I get to heaven? Now, if I were doing a funeral service today and I said, well... This person here in the casket's dead and gone, and I'm sorry, but you're never going to see this person again. That wouldn't be much words of comfort, would it? You, would, you wouldn't want to hear the pastor say that. You, you'd never want, me, want to hear me say, well, well, this person is gone. Take a good look in that casket, because you're not going to see that person ever again. Now, sadly, I would say for those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that would be a true statement. Even if you die and go to hell, right along with that person, I don't think that you'll ever see them again. You know why? Because the Bible says that hell is a place of eternal darkness, eternal blackness. There's suffering in hell, there's no comfort there, there's no company in hell. Only if your loved ones are saved and you're saved will you ever see them again in heaven. And you know the Bible demonstrates this truth in, in several different places. Let me read to you some statements that are found in the Old Testament about this. In Genesis 25 verse eight it says, "Then Abraham gave up the ghost and made an end of commanding his son. I'm sorry, then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered unto his people. In Genesis 49, verse 33, it says, And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. In Numbers chapter 27, And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee up unto this mount, Abiram, and see the land which I have given unto the children of Israel. And when thou hast seen it, thou shalt be gathered unto thy people, as, thy, as Aaron thy brother was gathered. So many times in the Old Testament, when someone dies, the Bible says that they were gathered to their people. Now, some would say, well, what that really means is they just died and they were buried with their ancestors. But Abraham wasn't buried with his ancestors. Do you remember the story how Abraham died and he was buried in a cave in Machpelah? Where were his ancestors? They were way back there in Ur of Chaldees. Abraham's father died in Haran, so he wasn't buried with his ancestors. Moses wasn't buried with his ancestors. You know the story that they were standing right outside the promised land. God took him up on the mountain, and God let him view the promised land, and then God took his life. And you know, the Bible says that nobody knows where Moses' grave is even to this day. He wasn't buried with his ancestors. And so this phrase here, gathered to his people, couldn't mean that. It means that he went to where his people went. They were believers also. And there would not be even a purpose of stating such a thing if we didn't know that there was a great reunion waiting for us in heaven. And the same thing is true of David. You remember the story of how David's child died? And David said, he's dead. There's no use in me sorrowing and fasting over him now because he's dead. And in 2 Samuel 12, verse 23, David said, He is dead, wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. And that means that David believed that someday he would see that baby in heaven. Folks, I'm not troubled because I know who I'm going to see. I look forward to seeing my dad. I miss my dad almost every single day of my life. I still think about him. Every time I write a sermon, almost every time, I'm thinking about my dad. My grandmother and my grandfather were Christians. My aunts and my uncles were Christians. I've been in church all of my life, and so I've seen many good, faithful Christian people die and go on to be with the Lord. And I know that someday I'll see all of those people again. But folks, do you know something? That seeing your family and friends in heaven is not the greatest part of heaven. The greatest part of heaven is seeing who? Seeing Jesus. Exactly right. We shall see Jesus. You know, sometimes we we look at heaven and we think about that as being like a big barbecue in heaven. And we're going to get all the family together and have a reunion. Folks, it's way, way, way more than that. Because the focus of our fellowship is Jesus Christ himself. And when we see our loved ones and we see our family, we'll rejoice, we'll love one another with with a love that's incomparable that we've never known before. And yet, the centerpiece of all of that is Jesus Christ Himself. In verse number three, Jesus said, And I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. You see, there's no reason to be troubled when you know that no matter what this life brings, someday you'll see Jesus. Now, do you know that there are some people who reject this because they say that, well, heaven cannot be real. Heaven can't be a real place because it's not scientifically observable. When was there ever an astronomer who looked through a telescope and was actually able to see heaven? And they say to you, you know, if Jesus died 2,000 years ago, And if he traveled at the speed of light for that 2,000 years, you know, Jesus wouldn't even be halfway across our galaxy. Just how far away is heaven? And you know, anybody who thinks like that, first of all, I would say, why do you limit God to the speed of light? Why? God deals with the speed of thought. How fast can you be in Tokyo with the speed of thought? How fast can you be on Mars with the speed of thought? How fast could you get to heaven with the speed of thought? You see, time and distance are no problem at all to the God that we serve. That's not a challenge for him. But isn't it a good question? Exactly how far away is heaven? Just how far is it? Well, do you know that heaven is actually so close that the Bible says that when Stephen was stoned, he looked into heaven, he saw heaven. In in Acts chapter 7, But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. I don't know how far or how near that heaven is, but heaven is real. And I personally know people who are in heaven. And I'm going to see them when I leave this world. Folks, if there is no family or friends there, heaven will still be way worth the trip because I'll see Jesus. And then finally, I would tell you that I am not troubled today because I know what I am receiving. I know where I'm going, I know who I'm seeing, and I know what I'm receiving. Look at verse number two. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. You know, there are lots of people who debate the meaning of the word mansions in verse number two. And they get all bothered by this. And, and uh, really, is this me, does this mean mansions? Or does it mean some opulent rooms that we find in heaven? You know, I don't think that really makes any difference at all. Our perception of heaven is so limited, so finite, that we can't even understand heaven. I mean, why worry about mansions? and worry about the streets of transparent gold, we don't have the capacity to even think like that anyway. Why worry about it? Even if you could see heaven right now, do you know there's no possible way that you could describe it? The apostle Paul was transported into heaven. You remember that story? Paul was taken into heaven, and when God brought him back to the earth, Paul could not speak about anything that he saw. He didn't describe even one thing that he saw in heaven. And you know why? He didn't have the capacity, not the the capacity in his human brain to even understand and talk about what heaven was like. A few weeks ago, we studied about Lazarus and how Lazarus died and he was dead for four days. For four days, he was in the grave. Where did Lazarus go? Well, there's only one place he could have gone. He went to heaven. Now, when Lazarus came back, when Jesus recalled him from the dead... When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus came back to life, do you know the Bible never says that Lazarus said anything at all about where he was those four days? Lazarus never explained anything. He never spoke a word in Scripture. Wouldn't you think that Lazarus would be a walking, talking encyclopedia? I mean, all the information you need about heaven, go to Lazarus. He's been there. He knows it all. But Lazarus didn't even say a word about heaven. He couldn't describe it. I haven't seen heaven, folks. I can't describe it for you. But I know it's real, and it's my heavenly home. You realize how important a statement that is? Heaven is my home. Now, if you're a Christian, you can say heaven is my home. And I want to ask you today, do you have a home? When you leave this life, do you have a home that you're going to? James Montgomery Boyce tells a story, and I'm going to close the message with this today. He said, There was a man who had great wealth and he was dying. When the doctor told him he could not live, the lawyer was sent for to make out his will. The dying man had a little girl who was about four years old. She did not understand what death meant. But when her mother told her that her father was going away, the little child went to the bedside, looked into her father's eyes, and asked, Papa, have you got a home in that land that you're going to? And the question sunk deep into the man's soul for he'd spent his time and his energy accumulating great wealth. In this life, he enjoyed a grand home, but now he had to leave it. And then voice wrote, I would ask that of you. It is certain that you're going away, for it is appointed unto man once to die. Have you a home where you're going? Has the Lord Jesus, your Savior, gone to prepare it for you? Friends, if I were preaching a funeral sermon today, I would say, let not your heart be troubled. And if your heart is troubled, Jesus can give you greater reasons why you shouldn't be troubled. And the question that you need to answer today is, do I actually have a home when I leave this life? Where am I going when I die? And I would tell you this morning that if you haven't found the greater reason to know why you shouldn't be troubled, then of course you have every reason to to be further troubled. And that's because heaven is not your home. Now friends, today, all of us as believers in Jesus Christ, we can be realist about this whole matter. We can be realist about trouble because we know that we have more reasons not to be troubled. If you're a believer in Jesus, the Bible tells you that you are the owner of a brand new heavenly home. Jesus said, I've gone to prepare it for you. Is your heart troubled today? The only place that you can find hope for a troubled heart is by trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And if you have, you have a home in heaven. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we rejoice today in the words of Jesus Christ. Let not your heart be troubled. When we think about the great theme that Jesus preached on, that he's gone to prepare a place for us in he says also that he's coming back. He's coming back to receive us unto himself. Lord, I just pray for that person here today who hasn't realized that they need to know you as personal Savior. There is no home waiting if they don't know you and if they haven't trusted you to save them from their sins. Lord, I just ask you might speak to someone's heart today. Help them to realize that there is a heavenly home, and to reach it, they must put their faith and their trust in you. Lord, we pray for Christians who may be troubled over different things. Help us to understand that Jesus did say, "Let not your heart be troubled, because thinking on these things is greater reason for us not to be troubled." Lord, just bless in this invitation today. Speak to some heart in Jesus' name. We pray. Amen. Would you please stand with me as we sing? All to Jesus, I surrender. All to him